Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. I have the incredible job of interviewing geniuses from around the world about the trends shaping the way we live and work. Today's guest is Captain Kenneth Wallace of the United States Navy. Based in Hawaii, Captain Wallace is a third-generation career naval officer. He is currently on the Pacific Fleet staff as the force oceanographer after completing his major command tour as commanding officer of the Naval Oceanographic Office. In our conversation, Captain Wallace discusses the sources he values in order to remain a forward-thinking leader. We discuss some of the social and technology trends he's following and finding fascinating, and we close with what is filling him with a sense of optimism. The 12 Geniuses Features Friday episodes are sponsored exclusively by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is a B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. Reach out at thestarconspiracy.com for more information or to schedule a chat with the team. Captain Wallace, thank you for uh, joining us today and welcome to 12 Geniuses. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you today. Why don't you give us a little background about yourself and what you're responsible for doing for the U.S. Navy? My name's Ken Wallace. I'm a captain in the U.S. Navy. I've been in for uh, going on 25 years. Started off in aviation and then uh, transferred over to the oceanography community, which is a small community within the U.S. Navy that really focuses on how the environment affects everything that the Navy does, uh, really our entire DOD. But it's a group of about 2,500, about half civilian, half officers and sailors distributed around the world that are partnered very closely alongside our operational forces of the Navy and uh, predicting and understanding uh, all the environmental impacts from, from the bottom of the ocean all the way up to the stars, really. I just finished uh, my command tour at the Naval Oceanographic Office down at Sinus Pace Center, Mississippi, and I recently arrived out here at PAC Fleet in Honolulu, Hawaii. First question is, what are you reading, watching, or listening to that you would recommend our listeners pay attention to in order to better prepare for the future? Currently, I just finished a book called Seven Miles Down, uh, the story of the Bathyscaphe Trieste. Fascinating read. It's actually hard to find. It was given to me by a friend. I finally read it on the bookshelf by uh, Jacques Picard and Robert Dietz, and it, it, it chronicles the deep sea exploration uh, in the 1960s and the technology and the science and the exploration really of, of doing deeper and deeper and deeper dives down, finally down to the deepest part, deepest known part of the world's ocean, the Marianas Trench, uh, Challenger Deep, which is about 35,000 feet deep and all the uh, hurdles and lessons learned and failures that were encountered along the way. Strong partnership with uh, the Navy there and, and so very relevant to, to my line of work, but also just from a, a fascinating story. I'm reading In the Heart of the Sea, the Young Readers Edition, uh, with my eight-year-old son right now, about the uh, whale ship Essex, and really the story that inspired the uh, famous Moby Dick account. Uh, and so I've read the, the adult version of that several years ago, but my son and I are reading that and enjoying that read. And then as a recent arrival here out in Hawaii, uh, I'm reading Eddie Would Go, about uh, Eddie Aikau, famous big wave surfer, the first uh, lifeguard at uh, Waimea Bay really fascinating individual who kind of, you know, really was a, was a daring, very accomplished surfer and lifeguard, but also inspired uh, kind of a appreciation for Hawaiian heritage and, and kind of left a legacy of selflessness and that aloha, taking care of other people and, and selflessness um, through his life. So that's what I'm currently reading. Uh, all those are kind of historical based, and that's where I get the biggest bang for my buck as far as uh, looking into the future is, is kind of standing on the shoulders of the past. 
any podcasts that you regularly listen to? Probably the one I, I listen to the most is uh, Art of Manliness. It, it's very historical based. It's also got up-to-date current events uh, that he addresses there, but it deals with a lot of leadership, technology, and history, which definitely appeals to me. I also listen to the Naval Institute podcast, and that's a great venue for discussions with current naval leaders uh, and, and also a lot of history there, too, uh, and how it applies to what's going on today. And obviously, in my vein as a naval officer, there's a lot of professional development uh, that's discussed on that podcast, and I think I, I gain a lot from that one as well. One of the things that's in the news quite a bit now is China, China affairs and things of that nature. And because you are in Hawaii and because you're part of the Navy, I'm assuming that your eye is on China and you're, you're watching and listening to the news there. What, what specific sources are you paying attention to to stay on top of what's happening with China? You're absolutely right. That is dominating kind of events out here. The, the awareness of what's happening there and kind of reflecting on uh, how those events are unfolding. I watch the news, obviously. I try to get a, 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 a varied different news sources there because they, they tend to have their own slant sometimes on, on how things are portrayed. So I try to get different current updates from, from a variety of different news sources. Obviously, in the Navy, we've got our own information feeds coming in on the activities there. And and just a lot of thoughtful discussion. I've been very impressed, I'll tell you, from a naval perspective with leadership out here and how they just very coolly and calmly uh, interpret events and, uh, and respond uh, appropriately to things that the media and, and other sources tend to really escalate and blow up. But uh, the Navy has taken a very deliberate and measured response to, to how we interpret the actions of, uh, of China uh, out here in the Pacific. Some real concerns there, obviously, but uh, a lot of dialogue taking place uh, at, through a, and a lot of great minds, I would say, uh, looking at that problem and, and communicating about it to, to take deliberate and cautious steps forward. But obviously, a lot of concern there as well. I find, particularly when you're talking with futurists, they run across things that might seem like science fiction or can't be possibly true. What's the process for vetting that and determining whether it's, it should be paid attention to or not? Well, it's really looking at the, the quality of the source, what you know about the source, who's saying this, right? I think firsthand accounts, primary, primary source uh, information. Is this a third-hand report or is this coming from an actual individual that experienced this, right? Same goes with, with reading history, uh, biographies, autobiographies, uh, firsthand information, I think, is very valuable. Another really valuable resource that I have uh, with anything like that that comes about when I'm trying to determine fact from fiction is I've got a network of peers that are really uh, fellow naval officers that I, I'm very blessed to have uh, that I graduated the Naval Academy with and have, have picked up along the way. It's about 12 to 15 uh, very, very close friends that are really brothers of mine that are, uh, you know, submariners, uh, uh, nuclear surface uh, warfare officers, uh, aviators, engineers. Uh, one of my best buddies is an Air Force combat controller. And so pretty diverse career fields, all very well read, uh, all really um, technically competent uh, professionals. And I will bounce these things uh, off that that network 
and get some very, very informed and great. If they don't know the answer, they, they generally know somebody who does and can point me in the right direction. And it's been a great, um, that, that's one of my most valued resources is, is that network of close friends that I've had for over 25 years uh, that I can that I can talk to. And I, I think anybody that's a leader or a, uh, a futurist needs to have a, a network like that in this day and age that they can, they can bounce things off and, and, and inform themselves. So. I think that that's really critical because a lot of times people who are subject and influenced by misinformation are often doing that in a vacuum. When I think of trends, I typically divide them into two categories, a social trend or a technology trend. And by social trend, I mean aging or addiction or mental health or something like that. What's a social trend that you're following or exploring that you find fascinating right now? It's kind of related to what we're doing right now. You know, here we are thousands of miles away, uh, looking at each other through a computer screen remotely, right? The onset of COVID uh, has affected, I think, the world. Uh, the, the, the idea of social distancing, of uh, telework, of being able to do your job from your home or from a remote location rather than the traditional driving into work and meeting with your coworkers. Uh, I certainly experienced this uh, during my command tour at the Naval Oceanographic Office. And it was fascinating to me to watch people's interpretations of that uh, opportunity there. We had folks that were 100% big fans of telework, right? Wanted to do that work from home. To me, I can definitely see the advantages of that. And I can definitely see for a safety reason, you know, uh, not keeping a lot of, you know, 100 people in a room and limiting that uh, for, for purposes of keeping people safe. But there's some real concerns that I have as far as just human nature. There is no substitute. Uh, it was reinforced to me during that, that two-year experience that there's just no substitute for face-to-face, eye-to-eye interaction. It's It's part of human com- uh, communication. Uh, it's human understanding. They say that uh, most of our communication comes from body language. And, you know, certainly, I guess the next best thing is, is doing it via video like this uh, or audio. Uh, and then, you know, we're heavily relying on email and so much can be lost as you step away from that face-to-face direct intervention in just basic communication and connection and trust. I think real trust building, which is important in any group trying to solve problems, whether it's in the military or industry, that that's built in you know in person, and it's just very difficult to 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 get there uh, through other means. And so I think we're learning that as a society. I also think uh, you know it ties into the mental health thing. Uh, people need. I'm convinced that people need connections, human connections. They really do. Uh, just a small subset of of the population can, can live as hermits or can live completely isolated. Right. Uh, and there's, there's history to back that up. Most people need some sort of eye to eye contact and human interaction and feedback. And, you know, and really it comes down to friendship and, and love and, uh, and that trust, you know, that connection, human connections. And I think we're learning that not only in the Navy, but, uh, but across our, our society. And so there's, um, that's fascinating to me, you know, uh, there's a great uh, Colonel John Ripley, who's a, a decorated uh, Marine, uh, a leader that I look up to. It, one of his quotes was, hey, leadership is a contact sport. You've got to go out and, and meet face-to-face with people if you're going to inspire them and influence them to follow you. And uh, I, I think that's very true. I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to ask you about trust, because one of the things that fascinates me about the military is that you are 
moving around, your commands are moving around, or your assignments are moving around quite frequently. And so you have to earn trust very, very quickly. Do you have any advice for leaders to and how to earn that trust very, very quickly as you're moving from your one assignment to another? That's a great point. I'm experiencing that right now, you know, as a new arrival out here to Pack Fleet and uh, a new face on the staff. I think in our line of work, you kind of get used to that every two to three years moving to, and everybody does it, right? And by virtue of the, the rank that you're wearing, there's, there's some, some trust that is kind of spotted to you or, 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 or given automatically to some, some degree. But again, it's, it's, you can sit in your office and remain and do everything from, through email or through phone calls, and, and you can really uh, exist in that way and limit your interactions. And especially right now, everybody can, can click on a, a, a web feed and, and dial into a conference uh, that's just downstairs, you know, and be present online. And, and, and they can justify it by saying, hey, well, let's, uh, you know, with, with COVID right now and, and keeping the force safe, we need to limit our, our group gatherings and stuff. But it's, it's not how you build trust. You, you've got to get out and about on, as a new member on the staff and meet people and, and interact and socialize. And it pushes you out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Because you're putting yourself out there. You're trying to introduce yourself. You're trying to understand other folks that are up and running on the staff. And uh, it's a challenge, but it, it also is, is how those connections are made and how that, that trust is formed as you familiarize yourself and, and get to be, kind of become a known entity on a staff. I think in the Navy, it forces you to do that periodically, which is a great thing. Moving around from place to place, you've got to reintegrate yourself into a new neighborhood, a new community. You either get good at that or you, you get really tired of it and you, and you kind of uh, I, I see that through my kids, you know, it's, it's hard for them on many levels to do that over and over again. Uh, I grew up in that environment and it, it helped me, though it was painful at times, it also helped me to, to interact with people and understand with people and get used to doing it. What's a technology trend or technology just in general that you're tracking and paying attention to right now? A big one, uh, especially Coming off the uh, the tour at the Naval Oceanographic Office, uh, but also very applicable out here to Pack Fleet and and the Navy's uh, activities in in the uh, Pacific Fleet, is just autonomy. Uh, looking at the sensors that we put into the ocean or the machines that we put into the ocean, and how to get longer endurance, how to get more payloads and sensors on those AUVs, those autonomous undersea vehicles or unmanned undersea vehicles. And, and how that is just a, a growing, I mean, it, it is exponentially growing all the different players that are out there, this partnership between industry and academia and the military, you know, and this is, this too is, is historical, right? This is usually driven by competition and by the, the national need really through uh, international competition, like World War One, World War Two, these big investments in technological development for the, for the military really come out of uh, times when uh, there's intense competition. And that's, that's truly uh, what's happening right now uh, with our adversaries and with those threats that we see out there that are, those, those entities are doing the same thing. They're investing in the same kind of technologies and it's a race really uh, to uh, better understand the environment. And so in our line of work, it's a lot of, uh, submersibles, uh, uh, autonomous vehicles, and how do you employ those? Uh, how do they uh, respond to the environment? Um, what kind of decisions 
can they make on their own and kind of partner with uh, the uh, the human in the loop uh, to best ensure safety of our forces and mission success. Are you referring to information gathering tools and technologies, or are you referring to weapons or both? Both. You know, for the oceanography community, it's a lot of information gathering. It's it's sensing the properties of the ocean environment where our ships and submarines are going to be operating uh, so that you can understand uh, how that's going to impact those forces, how the weapon systems, if they are employed, are going to be affected by that environment, and then how that environment is going to change over time over the next 24 hours or three days or a week and how to take advantage of that change in the environment. It's a really challenging, uh, complex, but exciting field to be in. And it, 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 I think the Navy is uniquely impacted by the environment. Uh, throughout world history, navies have, you know, one of the biggest adversaries, biggest threats to their existence has been hazardous weather or, or the, uh, the environment, as much so as, as an enemy force, uh, the environment can wreak havoc on uh, during, just during peacetime operations. And we've learned that lesson over and over and over again. And so that's an ever-present uh, challenge to the Navy. And my community's role is to try to predict a lot of that and protect the force. One of the things that I love about having these conversations with futurists and forward-thinking leaders is generally they're optimists. And I'm wondering what's filling you with a sense of optimism right now. I think first and foremost, you know, I start and end my day with my family, uh, with my kids, and the perspective, the interpretation of the world by an eight-year-old and a six-year-old is fascinating, right? You see things through your own eyes, but if you're a, if you've got kids, you see things through their eyes as well, and and it's it's just amazing the way they will interpret things, the, the resilience that they they demonstrate, moving to a new place, the fascination they have, the uh, the way they interpret events, and so. I get a, a heavy dose of optimism. My son rises and sets with my kids, with my family. And, and that optimism just is really, and my wife as well, uh, as we as we share this parenting experience. But that's the biggest dose that I get. I got a lot of hope that, that both of them will, will make the world a better place by the way they interpret events and the way that they, they do things. And it, it just really inspires me. And then I, there's a lot of great leaders out there in the Navy that reflect that share their vision. So there's Navy senior leadership there. I see it here at Pack Fleet within the, uh, the Mita community that are very, I guess, inspiring in how they interpret challenges, right? It's that old school leadership, but it's, I still have those leaders around that really make you think and help you through challenging times, kind of press on and be excited about the challenges that lay ahead instead of being you know, looking at them as daunting and kind of depressing that there's a, there's a, there's an energy there in a lot of the leadership that I see that is great and really makes this job exciting and worthwhile. Those two things give me optimism, two very different sources, but at opposite, opposite ends of the spectrum then, you know, and and I've got a strong faith. I've I've got a strong faith in my life that obviously I, I think plays into both those other sources, but at time again, lifts me up and makes me realize that there's a kind of a higher purpose out there and, and guides me and gives me optimism every day. Well, that's fantastic and a great place for us to end. For those of you who are not aware, this is 6.30 in the morning in Hawaii on a Sunday morning, and <laughs> we're going to let you uh, spend some time with your kids for the rest of the day. Captain Wallace, thank you for your time and thank you for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. We will be back next week with the final episode of our Futurist Friday series. Thank you again to the Star Conspiracy for sponsoring the Summertime series. You can find all the released Futurist Friday episodes on the 12 Geniuses website. Thank you to Richard, Jonathan, J. Tony, 
and the rest of the team at GL Pro in London for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a genius.